0: I want to remind us of the God that we trust. So just stay standing. There's one of those moments where you're like, do I stand? Do I sit? Just stay standing. We're going to read the text in just a second. I want to start by reminding us about this God that we claim to trust, okay? So who is God? This is what Scripture says that God is, all right? So it'll be on the screen above as well as I read through it. Um, God is infinite, Which means this, that he's self-existing, that he has no origin, that he was before time began. He's infinite. He's immutable. It means he never changes. He's perfectly consistent. Unlike us, God's not fickle. The God that we trust is self-sufficient, meaning he has no needs. He's perfectly content in and of himself. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Um, There's no kryptonite, there's no vice that can stand in his way. He's omniscient, he's he's all-knowing, he sees all of time-space history linearly from beginning to end and beyond both of those. He's omnipresent, he's always everywhere at any given millisecond. He alone is wise. Every single decision that God makes is perfect and right. He alone is faithful, which means this, he's unchanging, he's true, he's totally dependable. He alone is good. His actions are unceasingly of goodwill even when we don't understand it. He alone is just. Even when we don't understand what he's doing, he is right. This is opposite of us because... We are bound by a definition of what is right and wrong. So we do right and wrong based off of a definition. God's not like that. What he does defines right in and of itself. He alone is mercy. He's marked by utter compassion and kindness. He alone is gracious. This is huge, which means that his bent is to be gracious to us to spare the guilty. He alone is love. He birthed and sustains all emotional affections and commitment that exists in the universe. He alone is holy. He's sacred. He's set apart. He's different. He's pure. He's unstained. And he alone is glorious. Meaning that he's the only thing in existence that is truly awesome. Bill and Ted don't get to use that word. That's God's word. He's awesome. All these things are the attributes of the God that we just work and the God that you can place your trust in. Who else would you place your trust in than this God? This is the God that we serve. Maybe I could say it this way. He is a brilliant light bursting out of darkness, bringing and sustaining life and purpose in all things. Now, with that said, number one, this is the God you can trust. But let me tell you something that's breathtaking and puzzling. And I know right now you're like, am I still standing? Yes, keep standing. Here's what's breathtaking about all of these things. What's breathtaking... Is that this astonishing God invites us, dirty ants, worm crawlers, to walk into his room and pray and talk with him? This otherly being, what is breathtaking is, is he says, I am otherly and you are not like me. And guess what? You can come sit down and we can talk together. That's pretty awesome. That's breathtaking. But now let me tell you something that's puzzling. What's puzzling is how little we take him up on that offer. And that leads us into our text today. He's otherly, he's huge, he's enormous, and he says, come sit down. And we go, ah, I don't really got time for you. Come on! Why do we do that? And so Jesus is going to take us there today. He's going to precious, preciously press us into our level of prayer. He's going to show us that God loves to hear and respond to his children in prayer. He's going to show us that we can be confident that God will always answer us in prayer. And he's going to show us that prayer is real, it's beneficial, and it is indeed necessary. Of the believer. Matthew chapter 7 verse 7 says this and read it aloud with me. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who's in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Let's pray. Well, Jesus, thank you that we can indeed trust you and... That you, in turn, the trustworthy one who sacrificed himself, tell us that we can trust our heavenly Father. So I pray today that we are mesmerized at the fact that we can trust you. That you are distinctly other. that, That we do not deserve to enter into your presence because you're unblemished. Yet, you invite us and bid us come. I guess, God, what I'm praying is that we would have more astonishment and amazement and love and affection and hope in you today because of the way in which you bid us pray. And that we wouldn't treat that flippantly, Lord. And so, Jesus, grow in us a desire to pray as a church, grow in us a desire to pray as families. Grow in us a desire to pray as individuals who you love deeply. Jesus, it is in your precious name we pray these things. Amen. Be seated. Well, welcome to Safe Haven. My name is Troy Nicholson, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Safe Haven. Um, We go straight through books of the Bible. We're in the book of Matthew. We've made it to chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 7 through 11 today. And um, we've been journeying through what's called the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is contrasting how the Pharisees' religion looks and then how um, Christ's religion looks, what the gospel looks like. And we're learning all kinds of things. And so today we've got before us, it's it's a very simple yet power-packed message as we kind of look at what is prayer. Now, if you will remember, if you were with us in chapter 6, and and if you weren't with us in chapter 6, please go back to the website. You can pick back up. Jesus has already taught in the Sermon on the Mount once on prayer, but he did so in a negative way. As a matter of fact, he looked at the Pharisees and the way they were praying, and he says, here's what prayer is, don't do it this way. This is a horrible way to pray. Um, this is self-serving, this is self-sufficient, uh, this is for show, this is an, a negative way. And so Jesus did that in chapter 6, and we, we might look at that passage and go, well, gosh mighty." um because that's what we would say in Tuscaloosa, gosh almighty. Uh, well, gosh almighty, if the Pharisees, the religious, the best of the best, didn't know how to pray, then oh boy, should I ever even attempt to pray? And it might leave us with that way, and so I believe Jesus kind of knowing this, then comes to chapter 7 and positively addresses prayer. So chapter 6 is, don't pray like the Pharisees, and then that's where we have the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, got it. Okay, And now he comes back with chapter 7 and goes, this is what prayer should look like. And hopefully this will leave us going, not, oh boy, I shouldn't attempt to pray. Hopefully, we'll walk away today going, man, prayer is this gracious gift that I should cherish and nourish and cultivate. That I should pour time and energy and effort into. This should be the theme of my life. It should be the aroma. When somebody walks in my house, it should have the aroma of... Yankee candles, sure, but the aroma of of prayer should saturate everything that we do. And so, what Jesus does in this passage is He gives us five reasons, and there's probably more, but there's five that I see. He gives us five reasons that we should be joyful and we should pack in and be confident in prayer. So, I'm just going to walk through these real quick, real quick, real quick, and let's just see how they land, okay? So, where are you at in your level of prayer? And if it's low, and you, if you don't find much joy in prayer, my hope is, is that Jesus' words makes you go, yes, this should flourish in my life, okay? So here we go. Reason number one, you can be joyfully confident in prayer, is this. I think Jesus' use of this repetition, promising us that it is indeed okay to make requests to our dad. And so three times we just read the word ask. He repeated the word ask three times. Two times he used the word and encouraged us to seek. Two other times we're encouraged to knock. So it's this repetitive thing. And so anytime there's repetition in scripture, there's a point that's trying to be driven home. Jesus here encourages us to pray by repetition. He says, you can ask, you can ask, you can ask. You can seek, you can seek, you can knock, you can knock. And so this repetition, why is it hard for us to pray even after we hear Jesus giving us this type of repetition? Well, here's some reasons I think we still find it hard even after repetition. Because from an early age, even with teachers, we are taught that before we speak, we are to quietly what? Raise our hand, right? And so all the teachers in this room are like, yes, that is how it should be. We're taught that from an early age. Before you speak, you need to raise your hand and first be acknowledged. That's one of the reasons I think we find it hard, even after repetition. And some families even go the next step. And y'all may be one of the families in here um, to where you train your children not to raise their hand. But from early age, you train them to walk up to you and to place their hand on your arm or your lap or something like that, and they can't speak until you do what? Until you acknowledge them. Now, some of y'all do that. Some of y'all look at me like crazy, like, what on earth parent would do that? And then some of you are like, come right, that's what we do, right? So I can see that on your faces all across the room, but we're we're taught that. And so even when Jesus hammers us with repetition, ask, seek, not," we go, But first, I feel like I should raise my hand or at least touch you. Or maybe the cultural proverbs that we hear. Something like this. Fill it in for me. Say it loud. All right? It works better in church when we talk to each other. All right? We are told to only speak when spoken to. right? So all of these things we hear, but Jesus is the opposite of that. Jesus goes, no, no, no. Just get after it. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to come touch me. You don't have to live by the proverb, only speak to me when you are first spoken to, which is I think a lot of us think of God in those terms. And he goes, no, 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 you just come. Come and let's talk. The picture here is what's going on all across the country right now. All across the country here in the summer, pools come alive whether it be in the backyard somewhere or at the wreck pool or whether at the beach or something like that. And what is happening, literally right now as we speak, all over the place there are hundreds of thousands of dads in a pool right now, sitting there. And little Johnny, or little Sally, is up on the side. And he and she is scared to death. But what is dad doing? He's got his arms up, and he's going jump Sally and she goes I don't want (laughs) to no no jump Johnny but dad I will drown and then the dad goes no 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 jump 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 so much so that they kind of get everybody around them going jump 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 and then becomes a chorus of chants and little Johnny and little Sue and Sally are, are freaking out you know but the whole point is the same the dad's going you can trust me in the way that you can trust me as I keep on telling you jump I got this. You don't have to rest in your ability. Please jump and find strength in my arms. So number one, Jesus encourages we should pray, and he repeats it over and over and over to hammer it into our hard heads that it's not our ability to come to him in a great eloquence. We just come and we rest in his strength to hear and to work. And he repeats that over and over and over. I think that's number one that I see. And then number two. Jesus' use of the seven attached promises to convince us our dad will indeed respond when we pray. Did you catch that? So not only did he not say ask, seek, knock, he said this. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock. "...and it will be open to you. Whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. Whoever knocks, it will be opened. How much more will your Father give those who ask?" So why is this so hard? Well, even after we see that that Jesus gives us attached promises to his commands and repetition, it's still hard for us because ignoring is part of our culture. And we attach our ignoring to God and we think that he will respond in the same way. And so if you don't believe me that ignoring is part of our culture, just leave here in just a second and be bop right on over to Winn-Dixie, right? And just stand right there at the cashier line. And I can assure you that what you're going to see is little Johnny and little Sally who wouldn't jump into the pool, or maybe they did, I don't know. They're now going through the store with mom and dad, and they, they get up there to the uh, checkout line, and it's a brilliant marketing strategy. Somewhere, somewhere, uh, there was a CEO going, how are we going to sell all these little knickknacks? And somebody goes, just stick them at the checkout, right? You know what I'm talking about? Little candies everywhere. And little Johnny and Sally get there to check out, and their hands are in everything. They got seven Kit Kats, four Watchamacallits, two Go Gushers. I don't know what that is, right? They're like, Mommy, Daddy, can I have this? And what does Mommy and Daddy do? Ignore. Or say, no, 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 no. no. But a lot of times, we ignore. We go, I just I can't handle this. And so the best thing to do is just not even acknowledge that they're touching it. Right? And we just ignore it. Well, that's a part of our culture. But what Jesus is saying is, God's not like that. God doesn't ignore He acknowledges when we pick it up and when we ask you a question. He always will acknowledge if we ask, if we seek, if we knock, he's going to do something in response. That's why Jesus says this over and over and over. In other words, what Jesus is saying is you should be joyful in prayer because you can be confident that our God will indeed respond to you. You can be confident that he hears you. This is the difference between me and um, my kids' granddad. When we go down to the beach with them, our kids love the arcade. They love fat daddies and, and all those other, you know, whatever. They love going to the arcade. And basically from day one, we arrive and they start asking, when are we going to go to the arcade? When are we going go to the arcade? When are we going go to the arcade? And so I just ignore it. Granddad, Captain, not so much. We drive into the town, Captain pops out, and he's like Superman. He don't even wait. He goes, "You want to go to the arcade?" Like he, he, he's on it, and that's what Jesus is saying that our Father, when we pray, he's on it. He's not ignoring you. You can be confident that when we ask, he responds. Number 3. Out of this text, I think another encouragement is Jesus use of three strategic words assuring believers that their proximity currently doesn't make it impossible to reach dad here's what i mean by that i think the ask and the seek and the knock i think that's strategic as i've been thinking about this and i think it has to do something with proximity i think this is the point jesus is making in other words we're sitting in a room together so we're in close proximity right so all i have to do if i want to talk to you is just what ask you a question why? Because you're right here in proximity with me. And so I think what Jesus is saying is, if you feel yourself at a level of close proximity currently with the Lord, all you got to do is ask. All you got to do is talk. He's there in your midst already. So if you are currently close to the Lord, don't miss the opportunity to talk to the one who's in your presence and that you're close with currently. So if your current state of spirituality feels really close to the Lord, don't miss out. He's there just ask, and then watch this. If someone's not in the room with us, if I need to talk to Julie Beth, who's over there serving with the kids, she's not here in the room. What I have to do now is I have to go out that door and I have to not just immediately ask her, I have to do what? I have to seek her out. I have to go seek her. And so if you feel like your level and your proximity with the Lord may not be as close as it once was. And maybe you've got to get up to meet with the Lord and go seek him. Jesus says, go seek him. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay if your distance has grown a little bit distant. Jesus is saying you can still seek him and he'll still respond to you. So, if you've moved to another room, don't miss out. You can still get up and seek him and find him. And then... My favorite, perhaps. You can ask if he's close. You can seek if you feel a little distant. But what if a door is closed between you two, and you've closed the door against him? What does Jesus say you can still do? Knock. 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 And not will he ignore you, but knock, and it will be what? What? It'll be open. Do y'all see that? It's so good. It's so rich. It's so meeting. Why is this hard for us to accept? Here's why it's hard for us to accept. Let's go back to culture again. Because American standard rules are this. If the door is locked, you better knock. (laughs) Because you don't know what is going on on the other side, number one. But number two, you better knock, especially if you've broken a rule. You can walk up to any of my kids and ask them, um, when a rule is broken and dad goes into hibernation in his room and shuts the door, does he want to talk to you at that moment or not? And they'll probably say, he don't want to talk to us. And if they're dead on us, they'll go, and we don't want to talk to him either. Right? Because there's that tension, there's that a rule has been broken. And in our culture, if a rule has been broken and separation has occurred and a door has been shut, and y'all know right now between amongst yourselves, right? When that happens, give them space, wait till they come out of the room. Because the standard response is this if you knock when something has been broken, you'll get a response based off of your level of current importance. So if I'm frustrated, we've got some issue going on, I hide behind a door, I tuck into the scripture or study or listen to music or something, and my kid comes up and they knock. I go, do I want to talk to them or do I want to continue watching curling on ESPN 360? And I weigh the option of, are they more important? And Jesus says, our father's not like that. He's not like your dad. He's not like your mom. And praise the Lord, he's not like you and me. When there's a distance and when the door's been separated, you can have confidence in prayer because if you not, he will not go. I need to weigh my options of whether you're important or not. He'll open it. How awesome is that? And so... God's rules and response are different than us. It's this, I'm ready at the door no matter where you are at individually. If you're with me real close, ask me. Let's talk. If you felt some distance, seek me and you'll find me. If you have shut the door against me, knock and I'll still open it unto you. Why? Because you're my child. Adam and Eve experienced this, didn't they? There's no greater illustration... Then go into Genesis. Adam and Eve walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day. Disobey. All of a sudden there's a door separating the two. And what we do not find is a God who goes, I don't have space for you anymore, Adam and Eve. What we find is a God who walks up and says, Hey, let's talk. What happened? Here's what happened. And at that moment, God doesn't go, I cannot believe you did that. Close the door. What does he do? He goes... There's consequences, but let me slaughter this animal so that I can clothe your nakedness. That's the God that we serve. We can be confident in approaching him. So it doesn't matter if you're a good little helper child, and some of you just need to hear this, or if you're a child that's constantly struggling to fight the rebellion in your own heart, to both of you, John 1, 12 through 13 is true. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter where you're at in your journey. If you've believed, he is available. Reason number four that I think I see in this text Because Jesus reminds us that our heavenly dad loves to give his kids both good gifts and best things. Jesus does something really brilliant here, knowing that his audience is varied, okay? If you read verses 9 and 10 without verse 11, then you'll think Jesus is just making a comparison. If you read this, or which one of you... If his son asks for him bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you do that, you'll you'll go, okay, well, he's making a comparison here that just like your father will, then Jesus will. That's not what he's doing at all. He's not making a comparison. He's actually making a contrast, which is why you have to read verse 11, which says this, If then you who are evil... So the contrast being made here is... Unlike your evil dad, and unlike us who are evil dads, here's how our father's different. That's the contrast that's being made. It's not a comparison. It's not for us to read and go, oh, we've got really good dads. That's not the point. The point is, your dad's evil, my dad's evil, and if you're a dad in this room, you are evil. That's his point here. Let me kind of flesh it out for us real fast. It looks something like this. And i want to speak to all of us different in this room. Some of us had evil fathers who indeed gave you bread and fish when you asked for it. So spiritually, they're bankrupt because Scripture says that all of us are evil. None seek after good or righteousness. No, not one. But nonetheless, in our earthly flesh, we did some good stuff. So some of you had evil spiritual dads who were still really good people. They were great. They were good dads. They did a lot of good things. They gave you bread when you needed it. They gave you fish when you needed it. And not only that, they gave you all kind of other stuff that you didn't even need. They were pretty good. And so I think what Jesus is saying to those people is this. Your dad hugged you. He held you. He helped you. He honored you. But don't you dare miss out on what is a perfect love just because you have a distorted perception of what a good love is. In other words, there's a for you who had good dads, there's a greater dad. Don't miss out on talking to him by way of contrast. But then, there are some of you in this room who had evil fathers, who didn't give you bread and fish, who gave you stones and snakes. As a matter of fact, we wouldn't characterize them as good dads. They were just pretty sorry, earthly males. They didn't even fit in the category of what a dad is. And that's some of y'all's experience. Your dad didn't hug you, but he hurt you. Your dad didn't hold you, but he hindered you. Your dad didn't help you, but he hurled insults at you. Your dad didn't honor you, but you would characterize and say, I think my dad hated me. That's some of you in this room. For you, don't miss out on what Jesus is saying. By way of contrast, he's saying the same thing to you but in a different way. Don't let your earthly experience of anger limit your understanding of an available perfect love. So if you had a dad who didn't love and care for you, what Jesus is saying is there is a heavenly father who will love you and care for you in a way that no earthly father ever could come close to. Our father will blow your mind, is what Jesus is saying on both sides of the coin. So all of us can experience fatherhood that's not only for our good, but also for our best. Let me explain this real fast. This this could be the greatest truth in all of the universe. As a father, Jesus says that God will never withhold giving us what is good. If we ask for bread, he's not going to give you a stone. If we ask for fish, he's not going to give you a snake. As um, was rightly pointed out by Austin this morning, I think a lot of times we hesitantly pray and ask God, hesitantly for things because we think He's going to trick us or dangle a carrot before our eyes just to let us down so that we will understand His holiness and sovereignty in some greater format. That's how our twisted theology gets messed up. If this passage doesn't mean that we can pray and God respond, then the passage doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It's the clear truth and teaching of the text that our Father will not withhold from giving us good. It's like my grandmother. Before she passed away, I, I was going to school in the town near her, and I could walk into her house. And many of you guys had the same grandmother, right? You walk into her house. She may or may not meet you at the door of the hug, but she is definitely headed to the kitchen. And as soon as she goes to the kitchen, she's popping pizzas in the oven. You're like, Grandma, I just came by to see you. And she says, I know, but you're hungry. I'm like, I didn't think I was hungry, but now I think I am hungry. And you sit down, and then she she pops the the pizza in front of you, and then then you're sitting there eating your pizza, and you're like, grandmother, what you doing? She's like, well, I'm making some dumplings. I'm like, why are you making dumplings? And she says, well, it's because you need it, because that pizza's not big enough. And you're like, grandmother, this is a 15-inch pizza. (laughs) She wheels out there, and as soon as the dumplings come, she goes, now you need some pie, because you need to grow. You're a growing boy, and you're going to need this pie. I'm like, grandmother, nobody needs pie. Just listen to the Dr. Phil, okay? Nobody needs pie. And she's she's always wanting to give you good. And and so Jesus is saying, your father knows how to give you good things. Trust him. But, here's the greater truth. The greater truth is that he also will give you what is best. Which sometimes means withholding from us what we think is good, but really isn't for our good. It's also like grandma. Grandma would stuff you and gorge you, but at some point, grandma knew that she had to send you back home, and she didn't want to send you home sick. So I'd go, Grandma, man, those cookies, those oatmeal raisin cookies, I could eat eat seven of them right now, okay? Those oatmeal raisin cookies are so delicious, and grandma goes, Troy, listen, you've already had three of them. (laughs) You don't need four because it's going to make you sick. And so out of love, she withholds it, even though I thought that was what was for my good. She withholds and goes, no, no, I'm going to withhold from you. And Jesus says, our Father knows how to do both. He'll give you good things, yes, but he also, you can trust him and pray to him, knowing that for your best, he will also withhold things that you think are for your good, but will actually ultimately lead you to bad. That's how awesome our God is. And then number five, as we wrap it up. I think you can see in this passage that our dad proved how much he wanted to talk to us by making communication possible through the blood of his own son. In other words, if Jesus has offered himself and through that our father has given us sonship, the greatest gift, which is salvation, why on earth? would we think that he would turn and not give us needs? Thank you, God, holy God, for taking care of my eternal salvation. But I'm really nervous about asking you to care for me and give me a piece of bread. I don't know if you got that. I don't know if you can handle that, God. The divine, sovereign, eternal, life, eternal things, I trust you wholeheartedly with. But working in my marriage, I don't, I, God, I don't know if you got time for that right and so out of this we see jesus clearly calling us to trust in the work of the father for our great things and also our best things and then that's sealed in his own blood and that could be one of the greatest truths too so why should you pray Well, Jesus repeated that you should pray. He attached promises to convince us you should pray. He used strategic words assuring us that no matter our proximity, you can still come. He reminds us that our dad loves to give us good things and withhold bad things, giving us ultimately the best thing. And then finally, he proved it by opening and unlocking the door to communication that was sealed off from us because here's how the gospel works. So if you're a believer, all those things before were for you. Keep pondering them. Unbeliever in the room. Now let me talk to you. If you're an unbeliever in the room, God created us in perfection, but because of sin, we became eternally separated from him. No communication. No access. No hope. Nothing. And in that separation, there was this great chasm that we could not cross, that we couldn't scream loud enough to get across. Why? Because he's holy, he's untarnished, we're tarnished, we're blemished. And so if you're an unbeliever in this room, my question to you is this, what are you going to do about your guilt at the end of the day? You go, "Oh, that, that gospel seems too lofty, that's too crazy. Well, that's great and all, but what are you going to do with your guilt at the end of the day? Are just going to wash it away and act like it's not really happening in your heart? It's there, which is why the Bible says there's no one without excuse. And so in that excuses, we can play the game. Well, I'm going to try to jump across to him. Or I'm going to try to do enough good works to get across to him. You just can't enter Christ who steps in and out of love said, I want to I'll make the way can live the perfect life i can withhold the standard i can do everything in perfection i will do this jesus steps into life he lives the perfect life we couldn't live he lives the perfect life we wouldn't live and then god's wrath is poured out on him which doesn't make any sense it should be poured out on us which is the great substitution And Jesus says, now my work is complete, it is finished, I've conquered life, I've conquered righteousness, and those who trust in me, here's the more astonishing part, those who trust in me, I will give them my righteousness, and I will be their bridge that they can cross across from that side to get to the Father. And everyone who does that doesn't trust in his own work and gets access to the Father not only to seek him, not only to knock on his door, but to sit in his very throne room and pray and talk to him one-on-one. So, unbeliever, why would you say no to this man? He not only holds your access to communication with the Father, but he holds your eternal life and presence with the Father in his work. Repent of your sin. Trust in the finished work of Christ today. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will give you life. And so, with that said, man, if you're a believer, we have no excuse to be prayerless. Zero. Strap it on. Let's go. Open the door. Pray. Work. Labor. Let's press in. Let's be a church marked as a people of prayer. Not because it's our work. But because it's our joy. It's our privilege. An unbeliever. Man, this passage calls us. What do you do with the sun? The Father has made access available to you. And at the end of the day, as you stand before the Father, it won't be, I did enough good, I did enough righteous things, I tried my best. None of that will work. What will happen is, what did you do with my son, who I slaughtered so that you could have access to me? Give your life to him today. Well, that's all of Matthew chapter 7. or That's not all of chapter 7, but that little section. Um, as the band comes on back up. You know I love to give some little parting shots. These are things that needed to be thrown on the cutting room floor, but I just can't let them be thrown there because I don't know if there's like nuggets that maybe make sense to you. So I'll just read them off as the band's coming back up here. Some other things I think we can walk away with. Number one, the correct interpretation in this passage is about the nature of God as Father, not the nature of God as a slot machine. That's how most people interpret this passage. Ask it to be given. Anything you want. That's not the point of this passage. The point is, who is God? What is his nature? Why can we have confidence in him? If God exists to do your bidding, then you have become God. You're stronger than him. He lives to serve you. That's not the point of this passage. Number two. Another takeaway is our confidence in prayer is not in our own fruit-bearing, adherence to a formula, feelings of closeness. Our confidence in prayer is that the God who drew us to himself in salvation also calls us to himself in prayer. Number three, faith itself rests in God's sovereign will to grant or withhold our requests. The sovereignty of God is the only thing that will let us lay our head on the pillow at the end of the night and trust that God's got this and we don't. Number four, Garth Brooks was right. Sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs that just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are too often are often unanswered prayers. That's true. Garth Brooks is a theologian. Who knew? Number five, if God already knows, then why does he wait for us to pray? Some of you guys may be asking that question. If he already knows, then why does he ask us to pray? It's pretty simple. Why? Because he allows us to realize our needs so that we will rightfully acknowledge and turn to him alone as a willing provider, which results in worship. Number six, If true, it's true that prayer is not necessarily for, for common graces. So somebody in this room may go, well, there, the rain falls on the just and the unjust you really don't have to pray god's going to do what he does anyway that is true common grace gifts don't require prayer it's impossible to receive redemptive greater gifts apart from prayer you cannot receive the holy spirit fruits of the spirit or the divine presence of the lord without prayer just not going to happen those things are spiritually wrought through prayer number seven praying according to god's will is not rocket science when we, when we come to prayer, a lot of people are afraid, and they go, I just don't know how to pray according to God's will, so I'm just not going to pray at all. All right, that's bad theology. Here's four ways. Number one, engage in Scripture, and you'll learn how to pray because you in the nature and character of God through right thinking. Number two, engage in community, and you'll be shepherded with other believers, and you'll grow in prayer. Number three, engage in mission. With the lost, because when you engage in mission with the lost, you're actively doing what God wants you to do, so you will be a part of worship, and you'll learn how to pray according to what God's up to. And number four, engage in persistence to prove your desire and dependence on the Lord. In other words, be persistent in prayer. And the more you're persistent, the more you'll grow according to God's will. In other words, there's no one-hit wonders entering into the kingdom. And then finally, number eight, and I'll pray. Godly, I don't even want to read this one because it's like... If God indeed gave you everything you prayed for last week, would the world be in revival from all of the salvations or would your garage be bigger and just full of more stuff? Let's pray. Well, here we are, Lord, now engaging in what this whole text has compelled us to do, to pray. So I don't know another way to end this service than just shutting up and letting people pray. So, do your work in each believer's heart as you will. So, if you're a believer, we're going to have a few moments to just pray. Whatever the Lord's leading you. Maybe it's to pray and confess your lack of prayer. I don't know. Or maybe it's to praise the Lord for your great moments of prayer that are happening in your life right now. Maybe you're praying unlike ever before. Thank the Lord. He's the one Writing that in you. If you're an unbeliever, man, give your heart to the Lord. Pray, ask Him, confess your sin, repent, trust, believe.